What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Brent Flyberg. And I'm Vince Mancini. And this is Pod, Pod Yourself, Yourself the, the Wire. Wire. And today we're talking about Season 1, Episode 11 of The Wire, The Hunt, which premiered on HBO August 18th, 2002. You might notice I am not Matt Lieb. Uh, uh, Matt Lieb is uh, taking care of his child or something. He's on sabbatical. Um, Sabratical, Mr. Yeah. Big, Mr. Big Sloppa. They call him Big Sloppa now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, he's not here, but I'm here. So the first thing I'm going to do is is uh, Vince's favorite thing that Matt does and implore our listeners to give us five stars and review on Apple Podcasts and sign up for the Patreon because now Matt has to save up enough money to send his child to presumably trade school. If, <laughs> if they're smart, trade school. That's right, yeah. Um, maybe, even co- maybe even college. I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, you so know- yeah, sign up. You know, Joe Brandon's only doing that loan forgiveness once, so you better get that kid some carpentry skills, you know? Yeah, you know, I regret not being a plumber. That actually seems kind of nice. Uh, instead, I'm I'm here talking about The Wire with you guys. And I, actually, you know what? I take it back. I'd rather be doing this than plumbing. <laughs> That's right. This is not a podcast about plumbing. This is a podcast <laughs> about The Wire, a show about men, how men would... Sorry. A show about how men would literally rather puke in a trash can than go to therapy. <laughs> and today's guest, you know him, you love him. He's new to Pod Yourself the Wire. It's writer and humorist uh, Ben Flores from the Please Save Me podcast. Hey, what's up? Thank you for having me. Anytime. And I had something I want to say about, I hadn't been introduced yet, but I had a thing about the carpentry, you know? Because um, t- uh, who else is going to build back better? That's, that's right. <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly. Um, are you uh, or have you ever been a carpenter? Ooh, I took a shop class in uh, high school. It was taught by a long-term substitute teacher mm. for most of the semester because the shop teacher cut his finger off. <laughs> nice. And That's how you know spent... he's a legit shop teacher. <laughs> yeah. And we spent a lot of the semester, like a lot of time doing um, the long tables in that classroom had the little holes in them for... Um, you know, power cables or whatever uh-huh. to go through, you know, like computer cables to go through oh, or whatever. smart, yeah. And so we would kind of set up little golf course courses to roll golf balls into those. Oh, that sounds um, sick. That sounds Those great. are the enduring memories of that class. So and was I guess this, the answer is yes. Yes. Yeah, and was this was in um, Moscow, Idaho? Idaho, yeah, in, did I see that right? <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, usually people say Moscow, Idaho, but you went for the Moscow, Idaho. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Is yeah, that shout out to the Palouse Zips Burgers? Uh, Zips Burgers is good. Yeah, yeah, they get seasoned fries. Oh, so. so you've been there, Brent? I have. Yes. So I, I, Moscow is the home of uh, University of Idaho, and it's just across the state line from Pullman, which is where uh-huh. Washington State University is. And I went to a public high school in Washington, so a lot of my friends went were Cougs, went to the mm. Washington State University. Uh, right up until that last bit, still thought you were doing the kind of the whole Wikipedia thing, no. you know. <laughs> Because those all were sort of super top level facts, you know, <laughs> that would yeah. be in the first paragraph of the, <laughs> so of the Moscow Wikipedia. Yeah. yeah. So how close was Moscow life uh, to the movie uh, Napoleon Dynamite, the most famous movie ever uh, shot in Idaho? Yeah, Napoleon Dynamite has shades of like there were shades of that, you know. It's like it wasn't. Uh, it was not a whole different universe, you know. <laughs> Like, you know, for some, like if you grew up in New York City or whatever, (laughs) Napoleon Dynamite might as well be a freaking foreign film, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? What are you going to do, say I'm freaking walking here to a a llama? I don't think so. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, what do they talk about, you know? What do they eat? There's no 99 cent slices. Yeah, they don't have bodegas. For the for the their chopped uh what do they call it? chopped cheese that's the one yeah yeah the they, talk. They, get, yeah. they eat the tots yes you know? so you are not just to clarify you are not Benjamin Flores Jr. uh AKA Lil Peanut the American child actor and rapper I'm not but one time I used to teach third grade and one time one of the third graders did ask if that was my son. <laughs> <laughs> And I say that that's my, I tell people that's my career plan yeah. is, to, is to sort of insinuate without lying, <laughs> to insinuate in meetings I have with, you know, executives and stuff that, oh, that he is my son. Yeah. You <laughs> might, you might be able to get him involved in whatever so like project. Kind of, yeah. Exactly, you got a coast you know, on hey, his followers. You know what I think it'd be fun? You know, what if you could get uh, Benjamin Flores Sr. That's what I like to call myself <laughs> and Benjamin Flores Jr. in it, you know? Um, so, uh, some brief interview questions before we get into this. Uh, do you, do you enjoy the wire? Love it. Love it. I've seen the whole thing through more than once. Really? So do you have a, did you watch it at the time or, uh, did you have to catch up later? Let me think, you know, um, I would have been on probably my fourth or fifth 21st birthday around the time this show came out. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, dating myself here. Um, <laughs> let me think actually how old was I when this episode came out. I was about 15. So I did, we didn't get HBO. So I did watch it though as it was coming out like on DVD at the end of the, you know, the way most people probably saw it at mm-hmm. the time. 
like at the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah. So you, as I, a, I do remember it was a show where I would like stop. I watched it with yeah. my parents, you know, and as a 15 year, like so much of it was just like keeping track of all the plot lines and stuff. I would, there would definitely be like, okay, let's pause. <laughs> like what the fuck's happening? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm I mean, impressed that you as a 15 year old were able to keep up with this. There's no, I didn't watch it until I was probably like 23. There's, there's mm-hmm. zero chance I could have kept up with this at 16. Yeah, I mean, even now watching it now, I was actually curious, um, you know, just because we're rewatching this sequentially and we've seen all we've seen the previous episodes, uh, like I have a pretty good grasp on what's happening. Did you just jump into this one and uh, were you able to figure out what the hell was going on? Well, this is a big I mean, this is like major. This is like kind of like. A major climactic moment of season one, so probably was easier to jump right. I did kind of jump right in, like I I I refreshed myself on the previous episode. I just glanced at the Wikipedia, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But it's probably easier to jump into some of it than it would be kind of like a random mid-season episode because it's like, well, it's the aftermath of like this big thing. Yeah, these the whole episode is pretty focused. Right, these are like the big plot lines, not like something small that you would have forgotten. Yeah. And I feel like there's less, you know, I feel like there are fewer plot lines in this episode than there could be because the A story is so emotional that it, it like, they give it a lot of screen time, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, all the characters converge sort of into, like, single locations, so you're not kind of, like, intercutting just, like, a whole shitload of, like, wait, who is this person? Yeah. You know? Yeah. On that note, Brent, you want to break us off a little bit of that synopsis? Yeah, the synopsis for uh, today's episode is the Baltimore PD jumps into high gear to try to try to figure out who shot Kima, and in the process, they look like they're competent, but still bastards. Uh, the Barksdale crew does their best to clean up their mess, and Bubbles tries to stay clean. What a great synopsis. Did you write that, or did Matt write that? No, I wrote that one. Oh, look at that. Um, but yeah, but before we discuss uh, today's episode, you know, we need cultural context, obviously. And well, hold on. Before we do that, don't we, we need to hear the theme. Oh, yeah, that's right. We do need to hear the theme. Pod. Down in the hole. 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 Podcast. All right. And uh, sorry, what were you saying there, Vince? Oh, something about context. Uh, you know, we got to go all the way back to uh, August 18th, 2002 for this episode to try and uh, figure out what was going on at the time. And to do that, we use a little something we like to call the back in the day machine. It's a bad time for newspapers. The news hole is shrinking as advertising dollars continue to decline. There ain't no back in the day. Machine tells the tale, son. That's right. Like I said, we're going all the way back to 2002, August 18th, the dog days of summer. Um, some of the headlines that were happening. Uh, do you guys remember? You guys remember old Lizzie Grubman? Does that name ring a bell? She's like a PR person. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, Elizabeth S. Grubman, the Manhattan publicist who was charged with backing her SUV into a crowd outside a nightclub in the Hamptons, plans to plead guilty and settle the case against her, according to lawyers familiar with the case. Uh, the lawyers said they expected the announcement uh, that the plea had been accepted. Uh, that was when Ms. Grubman, 31, is expected to appear in Suffolk County Court. Um, 
The plea deal is believed to involve community service and at least 60 days in a minimum security jail in Suffolk County. Uh, and the crime that she was uh, charged with. About 12.40 a.m. on July 7th, 2001, witnesses and police said Ms. Grubman got into a shouting match with two bouncers at a popular Southampton nightclub, the Conscience Point Inn. Ms. Grubman got into her 2001 Mercedes-Benz SUV uh, and backed into a crowd near the entrance, injuring 16 people before leaving the scene in another car. Holy shit. Uh, well, I, I'm not familiar with the East Coast. Is Southampton... The thought of a Southampton nightclub seems strange to me. What is Southampton? Do you guys know? I assume that's in the Hamptons. It's a, it's in the okay. Hamptons. So okay. no, I mean no, because it's like I mean it's because it's a bunch of rich people, so they want to they go out there to party. Yeah, like, got you, it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When they're in, you know they're vague. They're in vacation. In the, there's actually a saying, you know, when in the Hamptons, <laughs> uh, back in the <laughs> yeah nightclub, you just fill in the blank with whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> you know. It's implied. <laughs> the case caused a media sensation because of Ms. Grubman's high profile. She is the daughter of entertainment lawyer Alan Grubman and has represented celebrity clients like Britney Spears. Uh, witnesses have said Ms. Grubman yelled white trash at one of the club's bouncers before backing her vehicle into the crowd. Okay. Yeah, well, that was th- cool. there's there's one upside is that this is an racially motivated in a way that makes it worse, you know? <laughs> who who amongst us? You know, that's what I was thinking when I first started getting this story. Uh uh in sports news, uh Barry Bonds, he uh he was still he was still out there hitting dingers. Um Hell yeah. And on this day, he uh he hit a broken bat home run and everybody was pretty impressed about it. Very uh, nice. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the bat shattered, the ball sailed, and Barry Bonds smiled. Bonds' latest home run wasn't as memorable as the one before, but it was the hot topic after the Florida Marlins beat the San Francisco Giants 7-3 on Saturday. Uh, now, did you write that? Now, now I want to know who wrote this. Did you write this? Or is this a synopsis pre-written? <laughs> this is Mark Long from the Associated Press. Because it has a really like sort of middle grades tone to it, you know. It's, <laughs> it sounds like yeah. a, like. Do you remember the Christopher? Remember uh, Christopher Ryan novels? You know, like the uh, the kids mm-hmm. books that are all about mm-hmm. um, like sports. The you know? dog like, fell. Like, oh yeah, baseball. the cat went meow. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like you know, like the uh, the little detail that Barry Bonds smiled felt very uh, juvenile. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, of course he did, man. He just hit a home run with a broken bat. Yeah. Uh. A lot of hitting coaches talk about getting extension, but that's ridiculous. The head of the bat went almost as far as the ball. The more you think about it, the more amazing it is. Uh, The players in the field were equally impressed. I looked at Preston Wilson and said, oh my God, outfielder Kevin Millar said, I've never seen anything like that. That's a bad man. (laughs) So that's uh, that's Barry Bonds for you. This was, now I remember, because I played baseball in high school, and this was when they, they started using more, this is, probably boring baseball backstory, but this is when people stopped using ash bats and started Mm. using maple bats and maple bats were more likely to shatter. And I remember people talking about like someday, like one of these guys is going to like, he's going to hit a home run with a broken bat. And of course it was, you know, the strongest man to ever play baseball. Uh, Are they still using maple? I think so. I don't Mm. know. I'm not, I'm not following bat technology as closely as I was at 17, but I I think that that's kind of the standard now. Yeah. My uh, dad has a famous picture of Joe DiMaggio boning his bat. I don't know if you know about that, but like back in the day they used to take like a, 
I don't know what kind of bone, like, like, a, like a rib bone, and they would just like rub it on the bat to like compress mm. the wood to make it, uh, I don't know, oh. harder and more so not dense. Like a, not like a Jobu, um, I don't know. Yeah, no, he wasn't doing like a Santeria voodoo, voodoo ceremony on it. He Cuban was actually, voodoo. Yeah. He was actually like using the bone as a tool, as a primitive tool. Okay. As the, the Italians are known for. Um <laughs> Uh, other stories that were happening. This one, you know, I got to get back to the one story that was dominating all the headlines in summer 2002 was uh, getting ready to invade Iraq. And uh, this one, <laughs> yeah, this one comes from the New York Times. Officers say U.S. aided an Iraq war despite use of gas. Uh, a covert American problem, pro, uh, covert American program during the Reagan administration provided Iraq with critical battle planning assistance at a time when American intelligence agencies knew that Iraqi commanders would employ chemical weapons in waging the decisive battles of the Iran-Iraq war, according to senior military officers with direct knowledge of the program. Th- those no, off- I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Sorry. Can you... I, I, I don't understand. What are they saying? That the Reagan administration So basically... Helped? The big part of our justification for invading Iraq in 2002 was that they you, they gassed their citizens and they have mm-hmm. these weapons and these uh, these biological weapons. Um, and but back in the 80s, uh, we were giving them a lot of help during the Iran Iraq War, and Including so we the gave gas. them a lot of assistance, knowing that they were probably going to use some uh, gas. Uh, of course, and we we're of just hoping they'd use it on Iran. <laughs> uh, those officers, most of whom agreed to speak on the condition that they not be identified, um, Iran's use of gas in that conflict is repeatedly cited by President Bush and this week by his national security advisor, Condoleezza Rice, as justification for regime change in Iraq. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway. Pretty cool. <laughs> a little in the weeds. You know, you can't expect So the Reagan people... administration also did the Iraq war. That's also their fault. Yeah, yeah, we could. Cool. I mean, I don't know that they did it. You kind of right. got to give you got to give the old, older Bush credit for at least knowing that uh, trying to take out Saddam was going to be a big pain in the ass and more trouble than it was worth. But uh, yeah, you're. You know. right. I should. You're right. I shouldn't give Reagan all the glory. Both of the Bushes get a little bit of shine on this too. Yeah. They did. They did. They were doing their their jobs yeah. as well. Pretty well, you sick. get you get Bush's son in there, and he's like, "Why was my yeah. dad such a pussy? Let's go, let's go fuck <laughs> this guy up." And, uh, and that's what they did. And the world lived happily ever after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I am, I live in a safer world. I'm sure of it. Uh, Mission accomplished. That's yeah. right. <laughs> well, you know what we had to do? We had to go over to Iraq and show them who we are. And, uh, that is what today's episode of the wire is about. The cops, they, they suffer a murder in the family and they got to go out on those streets and uh and show them who they are um thoughts on this episode uh brent yeah my thoughts on this are one it was it's so much funnier than i would have expected an episode about cops like trying to uh catch someone who shot one of their own um and i what i my biggest thought is and i'd love to hear what ben has to think about whether or not the wire is copaganda uh, because that's that's like a question that's come up a lot. I think that's a, a question that comes up a lot about The Wire. And watching this episode, I think it is 
if you wanted to make an argument for the show being propaganda, this episode might be one of the strongest arguments for that. But I think if you watch this and think that it as a show is is presenting the police or the drug war as like a good idea, then you're already blue line pilled. Like you're you're <laughs> stupid because they they look competent for the first time in the in the series, maybe they're all like focused and working together and doing like good investigation, but it is 100% just like a, like a tribalism thing where they're just like, nah, not one of ours. You can't do this to one of ours. Um, so yeah, those are my general thoughts, Ben. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, I think a lot of the, well, first of all, overall, I, I think it's sort of like the goalposts kind of have moved in 20 years on what, what is propaganda? You know, mm-hmm. because I do because I remember watching this. I mean, I probably watched it a year after it came out or whatever. But I remember watching The Wire and just being blown away that it was like the first. You now I was sixteen, you know, but that it was the first show I'd seen where I was like, oh, they don't just automate like 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 the the criminals are treated like people, you know, mm-hmm. like they're yeah. part of the show. You know, like yeah. that was revelatory. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that that kind of there's that and then i think to the extent that it's propaganda it's propaganda that like there's a ver- like there are police within the institution and there's a version of policing that is effective and admirable mm-hmm. and then it's been hampered by bad management and uh but like by bad management and by bad policy by the mm-hmm. drug war mm-hmm. yeah. but like it does crystallize in an episode like this where like like there's a little bit of a crucible of crisis here where like the kind of the true colors, which are good of a lot of different people shine, like shine in this mm-hmm. moment of community and crisis, mm-hmm. you know, like, and like, yeah, you've got like Herc and um, Carver, you know, like Robin cash, but <laughs> yeah. like, but like, but that's also to an extent, like you look at how that functions as propaganda, compare that to even some of the stuff in like We Own This City more recently, it's kind of like, yeah, taking that cash is very pedestrian mm-hmm. and sort yeah. of we still like we can still kind of excuse it as like, oh, this is a couple of guys who ultimately are gonna be good. We can already feel mm-hmm. like giving in to their worst nature. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. so yeah. Like to, to me, this is a uh, the scene where um, Rawls explains to McNulty that it's not his fault that Kima got shot. Uh, you want to just play that clip so we can? Uh... Yeah, I'll play that clip. Uh, yeah, this is a great clip. Not it's also a great like David Simon like there's so much <laughs> yeah. swearing for no real reason. Listen to me, you fuck. You did a lot of shit here. You played a lot of fucking cards and you made a lot of fucking people do a lot of fucking things they didn't want to do. This is true. We both know this is true. You, McNulty, are a gaping asshole. We both know this. Fuck if everybody in CID doesn't know it. But fuck if I'm going to stand here and say you did a single fucking thing to get a police shot. You did not do this, you fucking hear me? This is not on you. No, it isn't, asshole. Believe it or not, everything isn't about you. And the motherfucker saying this? He hates your guts, McNulty. So you know if it was on you, I'd be the son of a bitch to say so. Shit went bad. 
she took two for the company. That's the only lesson here. Yeah. So to me, like, this is the perfect microcosm of The Wire because, first of all, you have, you know, this very... This this speech that is inherently schmaltzy, like wrapped in this uh, wrapped in the sheen of vulgarity, which is like David Simon's kind of whole thing. He's he's a romantic, mm-hmm. but he also loves swear words. And that's it's not like a, a new thing to do that. And you could definitely read this as at least the first part. Like you could read it as this sort of schmaltzy statement of this is when the cops come together. You know, one of their own is down. And this guy who's a dick who you've come to hate in this season he actually uh he actually cares about one of his guys <laughs> when the chips are down like he's going to have uh he's going to have his officers back and that's what makes him a good guy um so like that's one read on it but like to me what makes this the wire is like the very end of that when he gets to uh what's the lesson here uh you know she took two for the company what does he say uh, she took shit went bad shit went bad she took two for the company uh, you know, we couldn't have done anything about it. Like he's saying that. And like the reason that the wire is more than just the first part is like, it's giving you that, that tag tag on the end, which is very much saying uh, like, it's me- meant to be read ironically. Like after this guy fucked up this entire operation uh, and pushed through what was clearly like a stupid idea to do <laughs> this drug bust that like mul- right. even, even Carver at the time was like, that sounds like a really dumb idea. Of course they're going <laughs> to know that this guy is a snitch. Like he, they did this dumb idea, put their officer in danger and their CI in danger. And after that, the only lesson they took from it was, ah, I don't know, man, we, uh, <laughs> criminals are bad. Like that was, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's I, basically like, I refuse to learn anything. Exactly. From this. Like we, um, yeah. this whole episode is just cops like refusing to learn lessons and, uh, <laughs> Refusing to change up how they're doing things, no matter what happens. Yeah, and it, it, it's great that it starts with Rawls. Like, yeah, if we if we want to go through it beat by beat, it starts with Rawls. Like for the first time, kind of like you. It, it reminded me. I'm glad that Chrisman brought up the Office in the last episode because this reminded me of a specific episode of The Office too. Uh, you know the one where Michael and I think yeah Jan have to sell to Tim Meadows. Uh-huh. And it's it's a great episode because Tim Meadows is in it, but also because it's the first time where you understand like how Michael became the boss because he's actually like really good at this like one on one sales thing. Mm-hmm. And so you have this moment because the whole time you're just like, why is this asshole in charge? Yeah. And then you see him. He cut like he shows up to the crime scene and he immediately like takes control in a way that is clearly like needed. And you see that like, oh, he's got some like leadership skills or something. Like he clearly there's some reason that he rose to this position. And you see that for a second and you're like, yeah. And if you're dumb, you're like, oh, because he's a good guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we move from uh, the the crime scene out. You know, everybody's uh, everybody's off investigating the the crime scene. Um, And then we go back into the office herc just shows up herc has been gone for the last episode he was on a training like i really am curious (laughs) if there was a backstory like where uh where uh dominic lombardozzi had to go do something else or he had another acting gig where he couldn't be on set for that episode at all i don't know but he was auditioning for entourage yeah 10 years early he's back though he's back in this episode and he he announces that he's back by by just showing up and going what the fuck happened like that's his first line (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) and they also 
He's rubbing his eyes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they also flip uh, flip McNulty's catchphrase. Uh, what did I do? Uh, he's like, mm. he goes from being uh, innocent to being um, like he's mad at himself. Like he he's yeah, genu- being like a he's, martyr. He, yeah, he's genuinely introspective uh, when he says it in this episode. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. how you know we're coming up to the finale. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so then we're in. We're in uh, the in Kima's hospital room. All the cops are standing around trying to figure out what to do. And then we meet the uh, commissioner for the first time, who is apparently above uh, the deputy ops. Like up until now, like I kind of just assumed the deputy ops was like the police commissioner. But hmm. apparently there's a guy even higher than that who's sort of like a figurehead. And uh, he comes in and immediately does a racism. Uh, <laughs> he... He sees uh, what is what is that other guy from uh, from uh, Homicide that's in that in that uh, scene? Burrell, the deputy. Ops, well, the Burrell. Burrell's there, but then there's the oh. there's a white Homicide guy. Yeah. who's like one, I forget that guy's name. Never never learned that guy's name. Yeah, <laughs> it's, there were yeah there are a couple of people here that feel like yeah kind of like uh, ciphers to me or whatever. That's not the right word, but like uh, like the, the commissioner looks yeah composites like the commissioner looks. You know, I don't remember how long this guy lasts in the show, but like he looks kind of like <laughs> he looks kind of like a uh, like a dollar store version of some other guys who are in the show. Like there's a little <laughs> yeah. bit of Rawls in him. There's a little bit of like who's the really old cop, you know, like the uh-huh. little stick in the mud. Yeah, Mahone or Polk. Yeah. Mm. And then and then the other guy, the homicide detective, you're kind of like there's not a lot of uh, screen time given to just like random other mm-hmm cops in this show (laughs) yeah there's one guy who's sort of like in between because there's like a continuum from like good cops that are doing things like freeman and mcnulty to uh the ones who are clearly there to like uh, pick up a paycheck like polk and mahone and our complete dumbasses santangelo also and then there's this other white guy who's sort of in between he's like he's not quite as much of a fuck up as polk but he's like he's there he's trying to do his job so anyway the commissioner comes in and he sees that guy who's white and assume, naturally assumes that this guy is the uh the lieutenant and uh starts talking to him and then he realizes it's actually uh daniels and, and lance kendricks is doing amazing eyeball acting oh, in that scene this oh, whole episode. he's so good yeah he's really good i mean he has a whole face turn in this episode that is conveyed like almost uh, 100% through looks. Mm-hmm. Cause we got- yeah, because he's like clearly so pissed, but it's also like, well, this is my boss's boss's boss. What am I going to do? It's yeah. great. He's phenomenal. So fo- focusing on uh, just the cop side of this, um, the, mm-hmm. the you got your you got your gumshoe detectives like uh, Landsman and uh, I forget who else is there. That, that white guy. Landsman, Bunk. Bunk. Is it? Santangelo. Yeah, they're doing their shoe leather. They're out, like, sort of following footsteps from the crime scene, trying to see where they lead. Uh, and me- Landsman is so sweaty, so fast. I love that. <laughs> he looks like Bruce Bruce, uh, rounding up to the closer, just, like, dripping in sweat. He alternates between looking like Bruce Bruce and looking like Gil from The Simpsons, like, just yeah. sort of flop sweat, mm-hmm. untie. It's great. I love it. I could I could see a little bit of uh, Bruce Valanche in there, maybe. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's just because, so, <laughs> random aside, but uh, me and Matt... <laughs> Went to a press screening like about three weeks ago, right before his baby was born. And uh-huh. uh, it was Amsterdam. So we saw Amsterdam 
and we go in and I'm sort of talking to Matt in the bathroom. And as we leave the bathroom, I open the door and it's Bruce Valanche standing there, (laughs) (laughs) which is maybe the most random celebrity to possibly see when you're coming out of a pisser. Was uh, this in West Hollywood? I swear, I see that guy walking around West Hollywood. It was kind at the of Grove. kind of often. Yeah, yeah. yes, that's right. Yeah. He's on a, um, he's on like a uh, video game NPC circuit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. He wasn't even there to watch the movie. They just he walks <laughs> yeah. in and out of that bathroom. Yeah, on like an eight-hour. And like Matt didn't register it right away somehow. And I'm like, I look over at him and he's like, what? I'm like, was that fucking Bruce Valanche? And he, and he had that split second of like, oh shit, that was Bruce Valanche. <laughs> and I don't know who you mistake Bruce Valanche yeah. for besides himself. Um, so anyway, the, uh, the homicide cops are doing, uh, checking the footsteps. Uh, and meanwhile, Freeman comes in and uh, sort of big dicks everyone. Did you, mm-hmm. uh, did you have a clip of that by any chance? I did not get a clip of okay. that. Yeah, he's he's great in that in that scene though. Yeah, he tells he basically tells Carver and Sidner and Herc to go get to work and they're like fuck you and he's like fuck me. No, <laughs> uh the wire is actually what's going to catch this guy. And so while <laughs> like the cops think for one moment for once <laughs> yeah. in their life about like how a crime gets solved. <laughs> yeah. Just like Yeah, like, yeah what do Herc and Carve think? What was their plan? Well, their, <laughs> I mean their plan probably is to go knock heads, right? Yeah. At yeah. this point yes. in the series, that is all that they know. No, they got to mm-hmm. go show the bad guys who they are. Yeah. Yeah, so Freeman um he and his but boy, Presbalewski, they figure out, they tra- They do some call tracing and uh, follow some strings and some thumbtacks. And uh, they, re- they realize that they've accidentally tickled the wire with this uh, whole killing. And so they trace this sort of pattern of phone calls back to the uh, payphone that Weebay and Lil Man... Mm-hmm. Lil Man's got the opposite nickname because he's a big fat guy. Yeah. Uh, but Wee Bay and Lil Man have paged Stringer from to let him know that the deed was done. And, uh, you know, fat guy being a fat guy, wouldn't you know it, he was doing what all Americans love to do, which was drinking himself a nice soda and uh, and littering, which is the other and thing littering. that Americans yeah. <laughs> like to do. He just tosses that can right there on the ground. And uh, wouldn't you know it, fucking uh lester pimp ass freeman comes in and and <laughs> finds the can and pulls a fingerprint from it and maybe takes a sip of it because he, <laughs> because he tells them it was still fizzy when he got it <laughs> yeah it would have been great if he stuck a pinky in it and then just like put it wiped <laughs> it, on his, it on his gum <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it's the real stuff it's the real thing <laughs> yeah yeah so uh, and then there's this great scene where uh I mean, it's kind of a corny scene, but it's like it's Hollywood in the way that I really enjoy where uh, Freeman lays his nuts on the table. I mean, it helps that Freeman's like my favorite character, but uh, this guy. You got a clip? You want me to play that clip? Yeah, please play that clip. I dusted the phone too, but it was smudged. So we got a Barksdale pro in the Northwest ringing up the boss minutes after the deed. So much for the amateur hour theory. Good pull. You are? Freeman, Lester Freeman. Where you working? <coughs> Pawn shop unit. That's right. Yeah. You solved the. This is you've solved the Riemann hypothesis. What uh, department are you? Philosophy, <laughs> mathematics, <laughs> custodial. <Yeah. laughs> it's funny that is like 
Uh, that is the second thing that reminds me of Goodwill Hunting in this episode <laughs> because there's very much like a Robin Williams "It's not your fault" moment between oh, yeah, uh, between yeah. Rawls well, what if, and that's the same, what if David Simon wrote the uh, wrote Goodwill Hunting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Goodwill make be a fucking day when I'm gonna step out of that goddamn door. <laughs> yeah, it's Harkin Car. I'm not gonna see your pasty white ass standing out there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the cops, they're, you know, they're they're finding some shit out. Uh, we find out that uh, Burrell is, uh, doesn't know that Kima's a lesbian, which is a fun moment. And Another, yeah, this is a, the, the Lester Freeman pawn shop unit was a place where I laughed. Burrell's reaction when he, or when he says, um, uh, oh, his, his, uh, her sister's here? I got or a, her I daughter's got a, here? We got a clip of that. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm sitting over there with Kim's girl, and I mean, somebody from the department or the city maybe might want to say something. Who's here from the family? A daughter, you say? A daughter? Officer Greggs has a girl? A roommate. The family's in Richmond, driving the first thing today. The roommate's already here. Yeah, so it's, the commissioner. it's a roommate. Yeah, yeah, he tells the commissioner, and we find out the commissioner uh, apparently doesn't fuck with lesbians. So he, he lets Burrell do it all. Um, yeah, he has a he makes a good face there too. He's kind of like, uh, I, I got it. Uh, never mind, I got it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, they're following up the wires. They're figuring out who's involved. Uh, obviously, it's Savino, Weebay, and uh, Lil Man. And um, so they know Savino's involved because he was the one who dropped off the money. Uh, so that leads McNulty to go. And uh, McNulty kind of just goes rogue this episode, like yeah. even more so than other episodes. Um, mm-hmm. McNulty is very much like an immature asshole uh, mm-hmm. in this episode. Yeah, there's the scene where he's uh, another f- scene that I thought was so funny was was he's just openly drinking a pint of Jameson in front of Daniels and mm-hmm. Daniels tells him to put it away and he just like like a sullen teenager takes another <laughs> drink like fuck yeah. you dad I'll do yeah. what I want. He's very much fuck you dad. He goes from there and he goes over he uh, ropes in his fuck buddy Rhonda Perlman and uh, he takes her over to um, the Jew lawyer's office. There's really no other way to describe him. Uh, he who's sitting there just having himself some pistachios, and uh, and basically uh, threatens him. That says like you know yeah. if you don't produce Savino, we're gonna uh, we're gonna audit your ass and mm-hmm. find out about all these suitcases full of money and blah blah blah. And just he really uh, he really he really throws his weight around in there, and. Uh, Afterwards, he and Rhonda have a scene on the street, which is another one of my favorite scenes in this episode, which I also pulled a clip of, if you want to play that one. Play that now. Fuck you, Jimmy. Don't tell me that was coming. Bring him in. He will if he can. That's the point. Well, what's the point? The point is that Maury Levy is a past officer of the Monumental Bar Association. And unless I want to spend my whole life as a fucking ASA, I can't spend my afternoons pissing on people who matter. Another career in the balance. <sighs> fuck you. No, fuck you. 
If only half you motherfuckers in the state's attorney's office didn't want to be judges, didn't want to be partners in some downtown law firm, if half of you had the fucking balls to follow through, you know what would happen? Uh. A guy like that would be indicted, tried, and convicted. And the rest of them would back up enough so we could push a clean case or two through your courthouse. But no, everybody stays friends, everybody gets paid, and everybody's got a fucking future. Just use anyone, won't you? Got his ass. Damn, dude. I remember thinking, uh, watching this episode, that that speech was. I mean, that that is a place where. That's that's like a that's a place where some of the propaganda of the show lives is in the kind of righteous anger mm-hmm. that is, like. That, that cops would push clean. <laughs> like Now, of course, Jimmy McMulty, very complicated here. <laughs> we're not meant to think that he's, uh, he could figure it all out if he were in charge. But I do think that we're, it's meant to resonate with us mm-hmm. that, like, you know, there's all this corruption outside of the, outside of the kind of uh, boots-on-the-ground detectives in the poli- for police force that are keeping them from putting clean cases through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what they would do unhampered. Yeah, I mean, I think it's doing the same thing as the Rawls-McNulty scene, yes. which is like it's doing the thing that The Wire does. Is it gives us something that we're familiar with and we already like, which is like a cop raging against these sleazebag defense lawyers. And you think that's what it's going to be. Uh, and then it sort of gives you that twist where like the scene you, you, you like McDulty gets this whole uh, I'm winning the Emmy worthy uh, monologue here. But then the scene ends with Rhonda totally just body punching him uh, yeah. and being like, yeah, OK, but you're still a fucking asshole. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 And this is all personal for you. Yeah. This yeah. Is, this is all like, you don't like that's you're using using me for your own deal with your own shit yeah you're har- and you're haranguing a woman who whose doorstep you show up on show up on late <laughs> at night for sex right. frequently yeah you are i am constantly doing favors for you including your custody case that i wildly inappropriate for you to ask me to do that and now you're asking me to do this and in the middle of all that like righteous anger he's not only threatening to like audit this sort of shady lawyer but he's also he's threatening to like destroy savino's mother's life in the process like (laughs) he's like i'm gonna go fucking knock down her door until she doesn't have a house and it's like she didn't do anything man she just gave birth to this guy who was there like you need to chill out that's right hey vince hey matt as you know, Vince, I love old internet memes. Remember the early internet's obsession with Chuck Norris jokes? I do remember that. Here's one. When Chuck Norris went to college, he told his father, now you're the man of the house. <laughs> why Why do you bring this up? Well, I was thinking about those old memes, and I started thinking, I wonder what Chuck Norris is doing right now. What has he been up to? You know, I actually know the answer to that, Matt. Yeah, I recently saw a health video he made, and I was surprised. He's in his 80s? And he still seems to have energy and health. You know, I saw the very same video, Vince, and in it, he says he's even stronger, has more stamina and plenty of energy left over for his grandkids since making one simple health change that helps his digestion and nutrition. That's almost too powerful to contemplate. But uh, it's true. He says he still feels like he's in his 50s. His wife made the same change and she's never felt better. She says she feels 10 years younger and has energy all day. Uh, I am way younger than them, and I have energy for about two hours a day. Uh, and the problem is, is, you know, that many of us do not include fruits and vegetables and other herbs that increase health and energy in our own diets. Chuck Norris made a special video 
that explains how he incorporated these things with one simple product. I love special videos, and you can watch it too by going to mymorningkick.com slash pod yourself, and it may change your approach to your own health. Once again, that's M-Y-M-O-R-N-I-N-G-K-I-C-K.com slash pod yourself, mymorningkick.com slash pod yourself. Go there now and watch this very special Chuck Norris video. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Yeah, so that's what's going on in the cops' neck of the woods. Meanwhile, uh, the the Barksdale crew is also sort of reeling from all the same events because they didn't know that they shot a cop initially either. Um, and uh, uh, Weebay finds out in the famous meme scene. Mm-hmm. It's the mom- moment of the show for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny because it's like in the meme you think that mo- like Weebay finds out that he shot a <laughs> like cop. It's something cool. And he does. <laughs> yeah. And it looks like the the way the gif that they made out yeah. of it, it looks like they're doing a Michael Bay like rotating camera thing, but it's really only like a half turn uh, mm-hmm. and then it moves on. But like in gif well, a- in gif form, it's like this whole <laughs> panorama. Well, and it's a great like it's a great example of just like the repurposing of an image like out of context because when you just use the image of him, it's him, you know, stroking his chin Mm -hmm. and for anyone who's trying to conjure this in your mind, he's stroking his chin and he's like looking like he's amazed, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, or shocked. And of course he's shocked because he's just found out that uh, a a cop was killed. But when you, but you, but the image just as powerfully works if it's like, something very cool (laughs) (laughs) revealed. So you're looking at something really exciting. Yeah. Well, it's also, I feel like, in the way the meme is used, it's like when someone's mind is blown by something. Yeah, exactly. But in this actual scene, it's like 
his mind's not really blown. He's kind of no, just kinda like, like, oh, that's bad. He's kind of just like, oh, snap. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, snap. Yeah. And it's weird. It's funny. Like the, I think the thing that one, another thing that makes the wire like a really good show is that uh, like throughout the season, they've sort of set up Weebay as the irredeemable criminal uh, who, uh, you know, literally like rapes, uh, rapes and murders a woman in like two episodes ago. And, gets in a gunfight with Omar and kill almost kills Kima and shoots. But then this episode is kind of like about how Weebae is kind of fun to hang out with. Like, yeah. <laughs> like he's, yeah, I mean, I think that that's... he's really casual about everything and <laughs> yeah. you're kind of like, yeah. And that's also what makes him a great, like that, that levity or softness to the character is mm-hmm. what rounds him out as like, if he's supposed to sort of be an example of, someone at the like the most amoral end of the criminal spectrum you know it's uh and it's a little it's like it's different than like when like uh when like marlo appears later you know where it's kind of like is anything pleasurable to marlo Mm -hmm. (laughs) it kind of makes the argument that like no not really you know like marlo is not a hedonist but like weebay is i guess well marlo's a boss so marlo has anxieties and concerns and weebay is super clear on the fact that he's a soldier and he'll always be a soldier and all he needs to be is a soldier. So he has no anxieties anxieties because he just does what people tell him and he doesn't really mm. give give two shits about the consequences. So yeah. it's like he's freed from any of the uh, guilt. I mean, I guess he just naturally doesn't have the guilt, but he's freed from any of the anxieties about worrying about cause and effect. He kind of just gets to uh, swim through the water like a fish. Uh, yeah, which appropriate. You know, yeah, <laughs> but but yeah, I, and but like this whole he does like Hassan Johnson does some really good acting throughout yeah, this episode. He really does. I thought so good. Also, he seems like the guy. I've never seen someone who looks who in my mind seems like they should be part of the Wu Tang but isn't. I don't know. I don't know why. Like <laughs> yeah. he just has that same like affect as all of the Wu Tang guys. But mm-hmm. yeah, so yeah. he uh, yeah he finds out that he shot a cop. He isn't that concerned about it stringer bell yeah. tells him he's that- so cool in this episode that i'm i'm glad that you reminded me that he did uh murder and rape that woman because i was about to be like he's the coolest guy on the show i love this guy he's my favorite character oh, yeah well and I, I hadn't been watching so I yeah. That. yeah of all the people in the barksdale crew he crew he seems like one of the most chill to hang out with as long as mm-hmm. you're not like you know uh a woman that he's trying to have sex with or someone that he's trying to kill yeah um, but everyone else, he's just kind of a casual, like keeping it light uh, <laughs> kind of guy. Um, yeah, even after he, he finds out he killed the, or you know, he maybe killed the cop. Like he, you know, he takes a second to be like, uh oh, and then he's like, well, you know, I can go to Philly, I can go to this, yeah. but like he's very like pragmatically like, yeah. all right, well, what do we do now? Oh, dang, like, he would be a great coworker too. And and, and, and uh, well, but his real menace is presented through. I mean, I know you're getting to it, but it's like yeah. it's through D's perspective into mm-hmm. him that we understand that like. This is a guy who could kill it. Like, this is well, a guy. It's like, it's like who you said, he's kill at any moment. He's amoral. It's what's asked of him. He's not like Marlo or someone like that, no. where you expect some people that do bad things to be sadistic about it. Like I don't know that he's necessarily like getting joy from doing bad things. No. It's yeah. just like it's not a thing to him. It's just like swatting a fly. Like oh okay, this is my task, yeah. and I, I will... gotta take D on a trip. Yeah, you know, yeah. Okay, whatever. <laughs> like I gotta go kill him. I mean, <laughs> you know, and even believable. Even finding out that he has to, he has to go to a city where he doesn't know anyone. Like most of us would be sort of like, 
oh shit, I got to leave all my family and all my friends and just like go hang out in a city where I don't know anyone. So the cops don't catch me. But we Bay is just kind of like, oh, Philly, you're DC. All right. Sounds good. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) You don't give a shit. I wonder if that's, I mean, that's interesting that you bring that up because of how maybe it functions as a counterpoint with the Wallace stuff, you know, that like, yeah, like, cause Wallace is at the other end of the, the spectrum of people who don't uh, belong in the game. Right. Mm -hmm. Similar to D you know, but so it's like, and Wallace can't now he's in the country of course, which is, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is worse. But at at the same time, it's like, he can't, you know, he he hasn't stepped foot outside. Yeah, back, backing before. up a little bit, like Poot basically, I didn't remember this on my first two watches, but I, I forgot that Poot basically gets Wallace killed in this episode, like spoiler alert, oh, whatever. Yeah. But like, uh, I mean, no one in knows where Wallace is. When the seeds of that are sown. Yeah, well, no one knows where Wallace is at this point, but then Poot comes up to D'Angelo in the pit. And he's like, oh, yeah, uh, Wallace is on the phone. And everybody's like, oh, shit, where's he at? And he's like, oh, he's down at the shore at his grandmother's house. And uh, The original where's Wallace. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's where we find out where Wallace actually is. Sad series of visual children's books, you know? <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, like Wallace is... Uh, Wallace is not cut out for the game as opposed to Weebay, who's just like a creature of the game. Like, exactly. he, yeah, but uh, molded by it. Yeah, born in it. Born. Yeah. So we find out that uh, Wallace is still on the coach. Everybody coast. Uh, everybody when thinks the air's all sticky. Yeah. Everybody thinks he's surfing, which I don't know if that's a thing on the coast of Maryland. I have not been. Is it not? It seems like it's not. But it I seems like it, I don't know. It does, yeah. Actually, I know one guy who grew up in Maryland and he can surf, but I don't know if he learned here or there. So it seems possible, but he's, but Wallace is also very specific that he's like, no, I told you, we're on the bay side. Like it's not, we're nowhere near the water. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, it is funny that Bodie's like probably surfing or some shit. Yeah. (laughs) So most of the people, like the the peripheral people, Weebay is not concerned. Savino and Lil Man. Lil Man is about to get whacked. We don't know what he's thinking, but uh No. How much is Lil Man in the show before this episode? I don't remember seeing him at all. Like we see him. Yeah. How much is he in this episode? We see glimpses but of him. Only That's a all little we ever bit. Get. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, just it, we just see him litter. He gets <laughs> talked all. about a lot more than he gets seen. Yes. Yeah. 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 So the, go. Like the main people concerned are D because he doesn't know what kind of shit's gonna roll downhill. And uh, obviously uh, Stringer and and Avon, like Avon's mm-hmm. kind of freaking out. Um, I don't know. Did we pull that clip of Avon yelling at Stringer? Uh, Stringer fucked up. I think yeah. that's probably the one. I'll play yeah, that now. Play that yeah, one. this happens uh, at Orlando's. About Savino. Well, Savino, he got to eat the charge. But he knew that. So if he keep his story tight, he's going to be all right. Yeah, we knew Orlando was a snitching motherfucker, man. Fuck him. But this cash got us caught up. I know, man. That, that's my fault, man. Bay and Savino came to me with the idea that, yo, if they take Orlando, they can take the cash, too. I was like, all right, y'all get your payday. Yo, how the fuck is Orlando gonna front this type of cash? What it say? I know. I know. I, f- I fucked up. All right, take this trash outside, fucking burn it. Tell Weebay clean up the mess before you jet. Yeah, which is another, this is a great moment in this episode. Uh, I feel like this was the moment that we find out that uh, Stringer Bell is a lot like most bosses in the, in the sense that he's much 
better at projecting an air of authority than he is at actually like doing any of the tasks uh, that mm-hmm. he's supposed to be doing or, or like understanding, like he doesn't have, uh, it, he's like Rawls a little bit. Like Rawls doesn't really know how any of the drug game works, but his entire thing is when shit goes down, he can go out there and start yelling at people and sort of, <laughs> yeah. you yes. know, he can be the guy at the podium and that's what Stringer has been. And we're, we've kind of been led to believe that he's like the competent one. Cause he goes to junior college and takes <laughs> yeah, economics and classes. Things at the center. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But in this scene, it's like, Oh no, he's really just kind of dumb. Like the rest of them. Yeah. I think, but I think that that's funny. You would compare him to Rawls. Cause I think the difference between him and Rawls is I don't think Rawls would ever say I fucked up. You right. know? Yeah, yeah. He would say, he would say if, if this were, if they switch places, Rawls in that scene would be like, you know, a cop got shot, uh, shit went bad. There's nothing to learn here. Yeah. But I guess I'll burn this money. That's the only lesson here. It's like, motherfucker, there's so many lessons here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but I mean, that's because, that's partly because uh, <clears throat> Stringer's talking to someone who is kind of like his boss, like someone who has mm-hmm. power yeah, over true. him. So he's sort of forced to be like, oh, yeah, my bad. Whereas Rawls <laughs> is almost never talking to someone who is uh, author- has authority over him. Well, and the political, like, there's, and the, politi- the sort of political element is missing in the sense that, like, Stringer doesn't have an aspiration at this moment to, like, to usurp Avon mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. surpass him. And there's a sort of, like, there's also a brotherly trust there where he can admit that it's his, like, yeah, he's one of like, there aren't many people who could admit that it was their fault to Avon mm-hmm. yeah. and like, you know, and expect and not see to the next killed. morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Uh, and that's because of that brotherly bond bond there. Mm-hmm. But Avon demonstrates real, like just immediate, like his street smarts, his like his nose for this business, like for the, like the real ins and outs of this business is just like painted with such a fine point, <laughs> drawn with such a fine point right here where like there's not even, not even half a beat allowed to elapse between Stringer's explanation and Avon's <laughs> and Avon's like eruption of like, how does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. We all know Orlando. You idiot, dude. <laughs> yeah. like, Orlando doesn't have money. Yeah. yeah. Doing the obvious takeaway from all this. Um, <sighs> Yeah, so then, um, you know, staying with the Barksdale crew, then we got D'Angelo. He just sort of gets called. They don't really tell D anything. That's kind of his function. He just gets called mm-hmm. in uh, to meet with Stringer and Weebay, and he has no idea why, so he naturally is freaked out by it. And Weebay just, like, takes him in the car, and they have this whole long interaction where D's wondering if he's going to get whacked. Uh, and it turns out he's just there to drive the car back and take care of Weebay's fish. And uh, one of my favorite scenes uh, in, in the Amazing wire. Scene. And I don't know, there is some weird truism to the idea that people who make their living from drugs always have uh, a ton of pets and exotic animals. Exotic <laughs> yeah. animals and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> As held true in my life. I don't know. Yeah. Like every drug dealer I knew in college always had like a snake or a lizard and a lizard, or yeah. a fucking bird. <laughs> One time, you know, I've no idea, no idea whether they were involved in drugs, but you know, based on this truism, one could imagine, you know, one time I saw a guy riding a bike the wrong way down a uh, Tremont street in Boston, which is a fast moving 
street. <laughs> it's like a four lane street, you know, three lane street without any bike lane. You know, he's riding the wrong way down traffic with this giant iguana. <laughs> Just like perched on his shoulder, dude. I don't know if that guy was a kingpin, but an indelible, indelible image in my mind. Yeah, Um, I think I pulled the car first. You know, (laughs) right? No, you need a terrarium for that thing. You just got to get like a glass (laughs) terrarium. Well, like a glass box in the back of his like Vespa or something. Dude, an El an El El Camino with um, (laughs) with glass put over the oh yeah (laughs) with the fucking iguana. I want to do a terrarium in the back. Dirt and fronds and turtles crawling around in it. Oh, man. You would get so many chicks with that thing. (laughs) I mean, that would be incredible. If you had uh, El Camino with like a terrarium (laughs) duplex in the back with like 20 lizards in it. Oh, my God. A desert habitat. Yeah. It's got, you cut a hole in, you cut a hole in the, uh, Glass for like a really tall cactus to stick <laughs> Oh yeah, multiple lizards could you know climb on yeah. the same cactus. Yeah, like put that. a flag on the uh, flag on that cactus. You know, I think you need to get into the drug business. Uh, hey, I I have a sense for how I'd spend the money. That's for sure. Yeah, you've got the aesthetics down. That's for sure. Yeah. Um. So, do you have that clip of Weebay talking yeah, about his I fish? Yeah, I'll play, that, play that. Check it out, D. I need you to feed him while I'm gone. You're gonna give him different food for each tank, too, all right? But don't worry, I'm gonna show you what to do. Come here. These are my touches. Got Kimmy, Alex Aubrey, Jezebel in here somewhere. I don't know. She thinks she's cute. <laughs> you take two pinches of whatever food I got next to each tank. They set for the day. See? They ain't no problems. Just beautiful as hell, D. Go upstairs and pack some shit. Amazing. He's so... <laughs> the idea that he's interpreting... Uh, yeah, interpreting exactly. D's nervousness as like, nah, dude, it's easy to take Don't care of fish. Worry. No worries. No worries. I'm going to show you what to do. (laughs) No worries. Uh, Yeah, he's so funny. In that whole scene, he's really great. D'Angelo's great. But yeah, Weebae especially, he's like, he's he's this combination of oblivious and menacing. Like, just at rest. He's so scary. And then he... The little like the little smile he gives him after he's it's like right after that he's like we shot a narco d and he kind of is like and then he like walks <laughs> yeah, away yeah. it's so funny so yeah. funny oh and it's we're such yeah. rascals yeah it's <laughs> just great because it's like you know to him it's like d now spoilers again but you know like um things things will shake out differently but like d is not. D's not touchable. Like, D's not a guy who yeah. Weebay is going to take for... Like, in Weebay's mind, D is not a guy who Weebay is going to take for a drive and kill. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. he's, what is he? He's Avon's nephew? Cousin. Nephew. Yeah, nephew, yeah. Nephew. He's the, like, D's and he also going to go get murdered. And he had you know? nothing to do with exactly. what happened. That's, exactly. yeah, like you were saying, like, he's in the same way that Wallace is not, like, built for this. Like, D'Angelo... The the like his fear is very like relatable because if I'm yeah. in a car with Weebay and he's that casual, I'm also worried. But if you are like sharp, like 
in the same way that Avon is, you understand that like I had nothing to do with this. Yeah. For them to kill me now would be silly. But I think part of it is that he's too smart because like if that was yeah. WeeBay, like WeeBay is too is so dumb and fatalistic that he doesn't really give a shit like he'd get into that car and just assume things are going to be all right and that's what makes him good at the job whereas like d he realizes that like no matter how little you had to do with something all it takes is someone's perception that you did or or someone who actually did it like framing you up somehow so he doesn't Mm -hmm. really like he knows that that he doesn't have control over what the bosses think at some level like you can be doing a good job but then you get a new exec in and they're like yeah fuck this guy we don't know (laughs) i didn't hire this guy whatever he knows what the razor's edge that he lives on um so yeah that was sort of that whole storyline um and then like the last storyline which is sort of the most uh tragic one and another reason that like the wire is uh, the wire and not just another procedural. Cause I mean, this episode is super, it's a super like procedural cop show episode where they're tracking a cop killer. Everyone's coming together. Uh, mm. everyone's, you know, sad about a fucking tragedy. But then the other element of it is that, you know, you have bubbles who, uh, in last episode, he, is trying hard to stay clean and having a hard time and Kima's supposed to help him out. And like the day that she's supposed to pick him up and do some something for him, which I forget what the favor was. Do you remember what the, what the favor was? I mean, he asked for like a place to stay or something. Mm-hmm. And I, it seemed like she was going to try to figure out somewhere where he could stay. Yeah. She was like, I got you. And he's yeah. like, okay, cool. And then uh next thing you know, he's paging her and he's getting picked up by the cops and they're taking him back to the station and beating the shit out of him. And uh, that's a good scene. I forget that guy's name, but he's like, yeah, you raised up on me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That huge Holly, I think detective Holly. Yeah. Who kind of looks like he could be Blake Griffin's cousin or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then, yeah, he's in there and then he gets his ass kicked and uh, he tries to get someone to um he doesn't he doesn't say outright that he's a ci which is why bubbles is like the smart wise one in the mm-hmm. in the drug game because he he has he has like a sense for self-preservation knowing that he doesn't want more like he doesn't want he there's like a the fewer people that know he's an informant the better it is for him so mm-hmm. so far only kima and mcnulty know so he has to talk to mcnulty and uh, McNulty being McNulty, he's completely missing all the signals that uh, yeah. Bubbles is trying to tell him uh, that he's clean now. Yeah, and he's using him. Yeah, so he doesn't, you know, he doesn't right. know yeah. anything. He's just using. Him. He's a very transactional person, yep. so he doesn't yeah. really think about Bubbles' whole deal. He also there's at one point where he's uh, he asks about Bubbles. He's like, "Oh, short guy mumbles a lot," and neither of those things like ever occurred to me about Bubbles. It's always never thought of him as short. Me neither. I, was kind yeah, of, I thought I almost thought it was going to be when he like in that half quarter second moment. I was like short guy. Like, oh, is he thinking of someone else? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, is he thinking of a poot or something? Like, poot's yeah, the only, yeah. You know. So yeah. So then, uh, but it's just like the whole this whole sequence of events is just heartbreaking because oh, brutal. By yeah. this point, yeah. you've come to really like 
enjoy bubbles and be sort of rooting for his mm-hmm. sobriety, even if you know on some level it's not going to last. And, yeah, uh, and and like knowing, especially having seen the whole series, just like knowing how tragic everything is for bubbles, it's like ugh, just like heartbreaking. The whole every time he's on screen. Yeah, and yeah, and this whole thing was just him getting fucked over completely out of his control in any way and then McNulty's like yeah here's 20 bucks why don't you go buy yourself some drugs aside from just the like the user the user aspect of like McNulty using people and using him it's there's also like a little it's not like it's it's not right in the scene as text but it's in the episode that like McNulty's an alcohol uh, McNulty's an alcoholic with no um, no desire to change, no readiness to change, <laughs> right. no willingness to change. Yeah. And so it's also like completely outside of his schema of like what a person like might want <laughs> that, that like, you know, Oh, the, like someone's trying to get clean, you know, like he's, yeah. the idea of it is he's <laughs> drunk at work, <laughs> you know, defensively. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obstinately drunk at work. Yeah. He's like, our friend just got shot. Why don't you uh, do some drugs or something? That's what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that kind of wraps up. And then um, to wrap things up on the cop side, uh, their response to all this uh, is that they're going to go do another raid. <laughs> Which yeah. is which is Dope great. on the table. Yeah, I think we have a. That's the that's the quote. Uh, that's the pull quote uh, in the title cards of this episode. Is dope on the damn table. I think we have a. I think I pulled the clip of that. With ties to the Boxdale organization. Yes, sir. What else? Well, the case is progressing. We're starting to glean some possible shooters from the wiretap. You know, I asked for the control buy. I put one of our people in harm's way. So right now, I want to make sure that we are doing everything. We are, sir. We're on it. Good. The commissioner wants raid citywide. Every door we can take, any addresses we can write on, anything connected to a narcotics case. CID, tactical, the DEUs, and tomorrow, on the 6 o'clock news, we put a lot of fucking dope on the table. A lot of it. Dope on the table. We need to let them know who we are. We can't for one minute let them think that this will stand. The commissioner wants to send a message, Lieutenant. Yeah. So, I mean, I think this is uh, this is them being like, look, we fucked up. Uh, I know I put some people in danger by pursuing this dumb strategy. So uh, what we got to do now is double down on that and yep. uh, keep doing it some more. <laughs> Yeah, I have an ass to cover, so put some yeah. dope on the table. <laughs> I also think. Does, sorry, go ahead. Oh, right after that moment, doesn't like one of those, like right after the the he uh, what is Burrell? Is he what's his position? He, deputy right deputy after ops. Leaves. Yeah, yeah. Right yeah. after Burrell leaves, like isn't one of those random kind of white guy cops? Doesn't he like just parrot his talking point? Yeah, He's yeah. Like, he says we got to send on, a we're, message. We're showing him who we are. Yeah, we're yeah. showing him who we are. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like it's just it's one of those moments where you're kind of like there's not many weak characters. Like there are spineless, cowardly characters in this show, but they're like kind of just like weak. Yeah, just a <laughs> like garden variety guys. dumbass. Not a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, we're showing him who we are. It's the guy that like your dog pees on the rug and you like rub the dog's face in it because it's like you're doing it you think like that's what you've been told is the way to like correct that yeah. behavior and it makes you feel good because you're like punishing 
someone for yeah. doing bad, but it doesn't actually do, uh, it doesn't actually change the thing. And I kind of think that whole sequence comes a little bit out of the run up to the Iraq war. Cause like, I feel like a lot mm. of that language, like, Oh, we're showing them who we are. We got to send a message. We got to go in there and like wreck shop. Like even before we actually invaded, I think there was like a fair amount of people who were like, this seems like a really stupid idea. It yeah. seems like the thing that we've, yeah. that we've been doing. And it's like that same impulse where you, uh, you strike back because it makes you feel good regardless mm-hmm. of how little sense it actually makes yeah. in changing. We're going to put WMDs on the table. Yeah, exactly. That's what I they're going to When do we think that this was, it's interesting. Cause I wonder when we, when this was written. You know, like right. this, mm-hmm. this episode. It's hard to it know. It aired in August, and like, it's. But what we can be probably pretty sure of is that September 11th, which happened almost a year before this aired, mm-hmm. probably f- like factored in whether or not at the draft initial draft stage. You know, like at some point mm-hmm. in the production yeah. of this episode, it absolutely was what was in the air. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, and just the idea of like, oh, we got to send a message. We got to yes. show people. Who we I mean, are. This was their 9-11. Yeah, we got to prove that you can't <laughs> yeah. mess with us. <laughs> they should have had a set. They should have They should have been two cops in the car, you know? Yeah. To just really hammer the metaphor home. <laughs> yeah, second bullet has hit. Or second oh, plane right. has hit the, the cop. <laughs> yeah. Second, yeah, exactly. Um, is that, I think that's the, I think we got everything in the episode. Did we cover I mean, there's everything? some. Kind of well, there's there's, there's the conversation about the raids, yes, and then there's there, there's oh the that, mole that yes. that scene is confusing to me because who is yelling at Daniels because it's not Burrell, Mm-mm. someone it's just someone else that we don't yeah. know. Yeah, it's a weird decision. It was kind of a weird decision because I was looking, I like because it happens in the background of the scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. it almost seemed like he was unavailable, and they yeah, got exactly. somebody who looked like him. I mean, I uh, think. Almost, it almost absolutely <laughs> yeah. was some production decision like uh, that. I don't know. Well, it plays weird. Here's why I think, I, here's what I like about that sequence is that I feel like at most jobs I've had, the way that you find out that something is wrong is you hear people yelling in another room. Like most of the time, <laughs> yeah. that's true. Most yeah, of the time yeah. you don't hear about like shit directly. It's sort of like you sort of hear shouting or you hear commotion. You hear something bad from somewhere else. Like you like yes. if, if you're not the top guy, they're usually not like sharing that information for you. It's just sort of something that you yeah. pick up on from being near it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I really just like that. They that didn't send. It's not physically the deliverer of the bad news is sort of a, a messenger that you can't really make out who they are. Yeah. yeah. Like, are uh, they above Daniels or are they exactly? Yeah. It was mm-hmm. a little, um, but that could also be a, a choice for exactly the, for a similar reason that kind of like, you know, the, uh, Brass loves to give or deliver good news, and then when they decide to go in a different direction, <laughs> or yeah, whatever, they send someone uh, yeah, else. We've sent a guy it. to tell you that we're kind of everything that we've everything everything that was flying around in the air before is uh, I changed my mind about right. or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. everything we pretended to be that was actually bullshit. Uh, yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, and then there's there's the raids. They get their dope on the but table. That, I mean, that whole that whole sequence is sort of. Uh, I mean, this is Daniel's face turn because like the whole season he's sort of been writing that line. Like we know he has 
a past that is a little bit murky. We don't entirely know like what he supposedly did, but mm-hmm. um, he's sort of, he's in this role of, he is, he can, he's like the gatekeeper between McNulty and Freeman and people who actually want to do uh, this work. But he's also, he's also this very like careerist person. So he mm-hmm. can either, he can either um, have the people under him's back or he can sell them out to the bosses in order to and have a future. Yeah. yeah. So, and like it, this, this episode sort of makes clear that he's having a face turn and conveys it. I mean, I guess there's the action of him telling them that he's not going to raid any place that matters to, to jeopardize the wire. But a lot of it is just like looks that he gives throughout this episode. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a heavy hitter. He's really great. Yeah. And then am I wrong or did they, they do raid the stash house, right? The, the, mm-hmm. That they don't want to, they have to, right? That's where Herc and Carve get the money. That's uh, what I gathered was that that was that they, because he gets, because he's, because that's what that conversation about is about. Yeah. Right? It's, yeah. He, they know, they know about the main stash house. They know mm-hmm. we're holding it back. Mm-hmm. And then they put so much dope and so many guns and so much money on the table. Um, and cause they were just going to raid a tower and that was clearly a house. So yeah. I, I yeah. think like, yeah, they had push came to shove. Mm-hmm. They had to do what the bosses yeah. wanted. Yeah. And that's where we see her and carve, take the money. And yeah, to your point, like, they're still so much more likable than Rawls or the commissioner. Like I would much rather see a cop take some money from a, a drug yeah. bus than like, uh, you know, deny a, a police person's uh, partner the like the moment of of consolation because yeah. icky gay. You know? I mean, there's like so many levels of things that you could call copaganda, but like yeah. I think for the general public, like the idea, like if a cop does a drug raid and they seize like $50,000 and two cops take like a $5,000 bundle for themselves. I think most people are like, yeah, I don't really care. But then like you find out, then you get to like, you fast forward, what, 20 years since the show and we get, we own the city and we realize like the, (laughs) the cop gang setting up that bust, like they did it solely as a money-making uh, enterprise. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's, yeah, it's just, it's just contextual too, is like sitting it back in 2002 into the place of like, you know, showing them doing that with no real justification is itself, is itself critical of the police. Yeah, right? for sure. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I mean, this is to what you would typically see on exactly. television or yeah, the, the tooth beating the tooth- up bubbles and then just straight up lying about <laughs> right. like, yeah. why he did it. Yeah, I mean, this showed them doing bad things, but largely in ways that we probably would have considered sort of acceptable, yeah. even then, even though we were not like used to seeing that on TV for sure. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think that about does it for uh for me on this episode. Um, mm-hmm. favorite, least favorite, uh, Brent. My favorite scene is definitely D'Angelo and Weebay and the fish. We've covered that pretty <laughs> extensively. My least favorite scene, we didn't talk about it all, and I'm fine with it because I didn't care about it at all, but where McNulty goes to the, the fundraiser that the judge is, is at because oh, yeah. he's back on the ticket, and I just had I had no idea what purpose that served. <laughs> like, was the judge the rat? Is he the one talking to Raw? Like, it was just like, who is this for? I don't fully understand what's happening. I don't 
really care. I've never in this whole season, I understand the judge is like who kicked it off and he serves an important function. I don't give a shit what's yeah. going on with the judge. <laughs> yeah. And so like, yeah. And even McNulty, like, I don't know. It seemed like a good opportunity for McNulty to like make a scene and mm-hmm. uh, and like uh, uh, around people he shouldn't make a scene around. And even that doesn't happen. So it's just like, who who is this for? Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just a, yeah, I think it's just a way to communicate like, oh, this guy that McNulty could call in favors from immediately like folded under any, yeah, any, any right. promise yeah. of like, you know, any threat to his career. Oh, so yeah, that was, I guess maybe that was supposed to be our indication that, that they were going to have to raid the stash house whether yeah. they wanted to or not. I okay. think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ben, favorite, least favorite. Um, probably, I mean, you know, the, the, the fish, the fish house is a pretty key, mm-hmm. pretty key scene. Um, I'll just flag one thing about it that we didn't talk about, which is just that like the, the level of technical tech, like technical direction. It's great how they track D into the house and we're on his face yeah. as he grows. We're in front of him on his face as he's walking into the house, as he grows more and more anxious that he's walking to his doom and as he walks into the house it's dark and so then we don't see his face anymore and then Weebe comes in behind him and turns on the lights and we get on his face that he's crying and that's just like really mm-hmm. it's, it's it's really well done how he moves from just 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 on one side of the edge to completely over the edge while he's in the dark yeah uh, really good um least favorite i don't i don't know i wasn't uh I wasn't prepared. Uh, I wasn't prepared for this. You know? <laughs> the um, I I don't know. I don't. I gotta think. I gotta think. Okay, you, you, I'll you jump go. in if here. If I come up with anything, yeah, I'll yeah. say it. Otherwise, I'll yeah. do a buy, a buy on it. I mean, I agree with Brent that uh, the fish scene is unexpectedly funny and a scene that I didn't necessarily remember. But goddamn, is it a good scene? Uh, I also really liked the scene of Jimmy and Rhonda outside of outside on the street like it's yeah it's kind of a a conventional like hollywood corny kind of scene with a big actory monologue but uh just the way that she busts him and the way that he comes out like just the way that they played that where uh you know he comes out seeming like an asshole and she gets she doesn't have many lines but it feels like she lands uh the memorable one in that somehow um, mm-hmm. really like that scene as far as least favorite I have a clip of it I think this is some of the work, worst acting that's uh, ever been on this show it's when they're doing the raids and there's this guy that we've never uh, seen before who's shaking down uh, Savino's mom who ain't here Zach he ain't here Zach no honey we're looking for Savino Savino <laughs> no he's my baby yeah, well, your baby shot a cop. That's an after-school yeah. special ass scene right there. Yeah. <laughs> that and I feel like that is the standard of what you would see on a cop show in 2002. I mean, yeah. it sounded like an iced tea delivery. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, law and order or whatever. Yeah. yeah. There is one more scene where I thought the acting was kind of bad, which is when... Um, Carver goes to tell Kima's girlfriend that she's mm. in the hospital. It's whatever. It's they, I think they they're it's a it seems like a hard scene to act, and I don't think yeah. they 
quite pull it off, but it's, you know, it's short. It's not a big deal. But I was just kind of watching it like, oh, these are not the two best actors on the show. And, and <laughs> they're they're being given kind of a lot to do, just the two of them. And it's weird. Yeah, I like what they're doing. Like, I think they're trying to make the point that uh, the worst kind of grief is the kind that's mixed with guilt. And I think that's part of why everybody mm-hmm. is like going so over the top. But I, I, I do think that they kind of like overplay it in places. Mm-hmm. And that was probably one of those places. I don't mm-hmm. know. But yeah, um, yeah, that about does it. What uh, what else do we need to, to say but to wrap up here, Brent? Uh, I, I mean, we got to give it a grade. Part. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after you, go ahead, Vince. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, this episode, a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what mm-hmm. have yous. Uh, mm-hmm. Classic TV I feel like they were partly setting the prestige TV uh, template here by having like all this shit happen like right before the end and then sort of, uh, and then sort of take stock with the the last episode. Um, So yeah, a lot to weigh. Uh, I'm going to put it on my balancing scales and uh, I think I have to give it a solid B plus. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's fair. I think. Uh, Yeah. I think I agree that it, 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 it feels now knowing that this is what all prestige like this is the formula now so like going into it kind of knowing that like yeah of course we're gonna have our our big event and then now we have the fallout going into the last couple episodes but i think they execute like so much of it so well uh there's probably only about 15 percent of this episode that i don't think is great so i'm gonna give it a b plus mm-hmm. b plus yeah okay well, i don't like to yeah. go against the pack you know, so I feel comfortable kind of sitting right in. Uh, I don't want to be the um, the tall male, you know. And so I'm going to go ahead and give this one a B plus as well, which was um, what I had written down for it. But uh, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm pleased to know that I'm sitting pretty there. Yeah. You know, it wasn't. It doesn't soar to the heights of season three or four for me, you know. But it doesn't sink to the lows of some of season five, and so. Um, and to me, those would all be, you know, right around here in terms of quality. It doesn't differ too much, you know, but so this one's B plus. B plus, B plus, B plus. I think that's an average of about a B plus. Yeah. Pretty good episode. Pretty good episode. Yeah. Cool. All right. And an A plus episode of Pod there Yourself you the Wire. Yeah. I'm going to give uh, this one an A plus as well. Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, ben, thanks so much for coming on. Do you have anything you would like to plug before oh, we go? Oh, thank you so much for having me. You know, if, uh, what I would love to plug is my podcast, Please Save Me, with Sarah Black. Please Save Me is a recap podcast for television's number one show, Chicago Heroes. Uh, the only problem uh, with Chicago Heroes, of course, is that it does not exist. Uh, but so what I would say is go listen to that. There's about 70 episodes of that. Sarah and I have a new podcast that's going to be coming up uh, soon. Tentatively, that's called Crime Watchers. And uh, yeah, so, so, so keep your... If you like, please save me. Keep your ears peeled for the new one. And if you hate it, then you'll know a new podcast you don't need to check out. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's always uh, a way yeah. off my mind. Check out Please Save Me and Crime Watchers on uh, everywhere you find podcasts. Uh, thanks a lot again, Ben, for doing the show. Uh, Vince, do we have any... I didn't see any names for, for you to give nicknames. Do we have any of those? I don't know if these are if these have been updated. Have they? Uh, oh, is this, oh, okay. I don't know. I don't know. Well, let's, if we can always 
edit it out if it's not, but I got some names here, so I'll read them off and then okay. you can give them nicknames. All right. Uh, these are for our $8 patrons. Uh, I think it's still called the Pod Yourself a Shoutout tier. If you like the show and you want to make sure that Matt can feed his child, you can sign up for the Patreon. Uh, $8 a month gets you a shout-out on the show. And Vince will give you a corner nickname. Uh, so starting with our first new patron, Kevin Dwyer. Mm, yeah, we call him Special K. Special K. Yeah. Special K, and then we have one, a special, uh, it seems like, a, I, I guess, a baby signed up. It says you're William Roush's newborn baby. Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to call him Squirts because, you know, that's what babies do. That's what they're made of. Yeah, perfect. Well, Squirts, thanks for signing up. Uh, this one kind of, anyways, uh, next up we got Byron Hooper. Mm, Hooper. Oh, this guy hoops it up. I'm going to name him after my favorite Hooper, Draymond. Draymond. Thanks for signing up, Draymond. And our last name, our last new patron, Peter. Sorry if I mispronounce this, but Peter Merez. Is it Merez or is it Mayor? I'm going to call him Horse. Because, horse. You know, yeah, he's the horse. Yep. Perfect. Oh shit, we're getting under that. Yeah, that's a pretty good deal. We're gonna find out how elastic this market is. Alright, sick. Thanks for listening. Uh, and uh, if you come at the king, you best not miss. Boom. Okay, so this next Balmer B story is by Nora Jones uh, from a song that came out in 2002. I'll be real with you, I couldn't figure out which version I like better, the high octave or the low octave, so I just did, I did both of them together. Not the best choice I've ever made, but also, um, I'm tired, so. I waited till I saw them come Don't know
My daughter loves that song, but not with those lyrics. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.